Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady, President of Sales Assembly, and this episode is brought to you by our two incredible sponsors, Showpad and Motion. Showpad is essentially the very best thing to ever happen to your sales team, your revenue team, anybody in your go-to-market strategy. With Showpad, you can enable your team to win with the content and training that they need to drive more meaningful customer and prospect conversations. What could be better than that? If you want to learn more, visit showpad.com. And finally, we couldn't produce our podcast without our partnership with the incredible team at Motion. Motion is a podcasting service, and what they do, they help you set up the marketing, they help you set up the audio, the video, written content, they'll reach out and do blog posts for you. They essentially make sure that you are fully supported to put together an incredible episode and show. So if you want to find out more about Motion, you can find them at motionagency.io. All of that being said, I am very excited to introduce our guest for today, Tracy Tennyson. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Christina. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It is wonderful to talk to you. And I'm so excited for us to just dig into who you are and what drives you and about your career path from working at United for a number of years to working in event management prior to that. And now as the vice president of marketing and brand strategy at Excel Technologies, I feel like you have done it all and taken your gifts everywhere. So tell us about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely been a career path in which the surprises have been around every corner. And I think having the ability to hold fierce to opportunities that show up unexpectedly and really having an open mind in terms of thinking about my career as a path that's really focused around my strengths rather than a trajectory of where I want to be in five to 10 years and prescribing a certain path. And I think what's been great about that is when you are comfortable kind of being uncomfortable with that, you find inroads and opportunities for growth, both personally and professionally, that are really unexpected. And I think that's what my career has been, is that open mind and the ability to say, I'm learning what I'm great at and holding on to that. And that it's a process that takes you from point A to point B, you know, and for me now to maybe F or G on my journey, right? That really allows you to find the best version of yourself and bring that energy to a lot of different work environments, which has certainly been the case for me. So it's been a really fun ride and I think there's still a lot of it left. So I'm happy to be where I am most certainly. I mean, if we are lucky enough, there is. Do you feel like this is where you always saw yourself going? When did you feel like you set the professional target to land where you did? You mentioned it was a fierce journey. Were there any kind of weird corners or hard left turns in there? (laughs) Most certainly. Well, my degree in school was in social justice. So certainly a passion 
in life for impacting the greater good. And early in my career, I really saw that in terms of nonprofit work. And I started my career actually in nonprofits long ago when I graduated from college and really found a skill set that was, to me, the understanding of myself as someone who could take a very complex situation and make it simple and break it down into steps that were manageable. And as a new professional, the ability to do that in a really matrixed environment. And I think that was the first aha moment that took me down the path of saying, I wonder how I could make a career out of this because I really love it. It's highly satisfying and in the right place where I'm also impacting something bigger than myself. It's very inspiring to me and helping other people to find that too. So I think the career turning point for me was finding my career in events. So I started in events at my alma mater, actually, at a university that I worked at. And there was an opportunity. I left a corporate environment to go back to that environment because it was a place that was really special to me. And found my path in events and was able to say, interestingly enough, right, that you take very complex ideas and complex timelines and break those down into very manageable and effective details. And especially when you think about events, not in the way of choosing linens or picking catering menus, but rather as an opportunity to create a strategic message, a strategic vision, and an experience that is really transformative for the people that you are putting that event on for. It has logistical complexity, but then also strategic strategic and intellectual complexity, which I think was really the tipping point for me is the understanding of the ability to put those two skill sets together, the logistic complexity with the strategic and intellectual complexity. And I think at that point, there was this shift in the way that I thought about what was maybe prior to that project management skill set into the ability to be a strategic leader that could really execute and move businesses forward with that same skill set, both strategy and intellect and logistics at the same time. I feel like as a child, you were probably one of those people that could put together Legos without instructions. <laughs> you know, like not. you have, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just like, I wouldn't be surprised if that were like a fun fact. We were like, yeah, I can take 3000 Legos and I can build like the Death Star or something. <laughs> I wish I could say that's the case. I have no, I have no spatial reasoning. I'm like constantly getting lost, right? You like put me out on the roads without Google Maps and I don't know where I am. Okay. I would say the skill set that would have shown up as a child and my parents would tell you this is that I was just extremely bossy. And yes. so harnessing the bossy into something that was bossy for good was probably the better way to characterize that. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of bossy ladies because we get stuff done. And I love hearing you talk about just not only how your mind works in taking the complex and making it simple, but also how you've done that with your role and your careers and how you've taken what some people would see as being like a little bit of a more segmented on one road role with with working at events and working in marketing. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is my lane. For you, I feel like you have this amazing ability to have a 10,000 foot view, but then also a 10 foot view. And so that's how you navigate your life. And I imagine you coach others to do the same. Absolutely. And I think it is particularly interesting. I have a passion for working with new professionals, most certainly. And having come from a university environment, my team was in large part students and student athletes. And I think the opportunity, especially with new professionals, today is that they come out of college with this vision that they need to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and that what they're doing today will be what they do, right, for their life. And the ability to open up your mind to the idea that if you hold on to that tightly enough, that being uncomfortable in not having a plan can actually take you down a path that is really undeniable around what you're great at. And I think that's a really inspiring way to live your life, both personally and professionally, if you can be as uncomfortable in that space as it requires you to be to really find your path. 
Yes. Well, let's lean into being uncomfortable for you. Talking about working in the event space, it is no secret that space has received an aggressive amount of change and need to pivot. It's been devastating for a lot of people in the event space. And our, our topic for today is really just how do you build processes to handle change? How do you effectively mm-hmm. navigate uncharted waters? And mm-hmm. I couldn't think of somebody more relevant to having to do this. So starting with your own personal experience and then driving outward, what has it been like for you to have to pivot this year? And what did you do? Sure, that's a great question. And you know, obviously my career has changed mid-year, which has been an yeah. interesting experience even <laughs> in of itself, right? But previously, right, in, in my last role, I was leading pretty complex client-facing events for a number of years. And when COVID happened, it was this moment of, you know, I think in events you have to be comfortable with the unknown all the time. And you are constantly refining your ability to pivot with strategy behind your pivot and controlling what you can control, but then at the same time, understanding that there are always things that are outside of your control in an events environment, right? You get on the ground in an event and there are any number of things at any given moment that happen that have nothing to do with how well you planned. And so I think it set us up, our team up for the ability to be resilient through that and say, okay, something happened that we didn't expect to happen. How do we apply what we're really great at into a virtual environment and recreate a really dynamic experience that gets us to the same outcomes with a different mode of doing that. And to me, that skill set was already a part of who we were. And I think the biggest part that was probably the most difficult was the ability to say, okay, today all of a sudden is different than yesterday. So when COVID, I mean, true COVID hit, I was on the ground at an event, actually the Players' Championship in Florida. And we had to stop our event midstream because the tournament was canceled and we had give or take 100 clients who were in the middle of flying into the event staff, right? And that ability to say, you know what, we're going to have to figure out how to manage this and make this experience a great experience for them. And it changed in a day. And then all of a sudden, all of these events we had in our plan for the next six months, we were required to say, how do we do this virtually? And we will not cancel. And we were able to pivot and really think about that end outcome we were still trying to achieve, which I I think applies in any business setting, right? So the ability to say the end outcome is X and the way we get there may look different tomorrow because we understand something different about the experience we're trying to create. And I think that's definitely true in the environment I work in now as well, right? That ability to pivot for your clients and think about who it is that you're there to serve and when things happen that are outside of your control, how do you embrace the gray and be comfortable not having all the answers, but taking what you do know and mapping to that and then chipping away at that day by day. I think that was certainly the experience for event professionals and being really uncomfortable. Again, that idea of being comfortable, being uncomfortable and leading through that with the ability to say, I don't have all the information and that's okay with me. And here's, I can hang on to that while also delivering against the end outcome that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. And taking digestible bites together. And I mean, after having to make that aggressive pivot and work together at your prior company in in that space, four or five months ago, moving to a new company, I imagine that you joined like in the middle of active change management, like you suddenly join and it's like everybody's. So what was that like (laughs) to join a company that is actively changing and have to somehow figure out your way as an executive? 
Yes, that's a great question. And I think that's something that's still happening today. So I I started in November and I had a great mentor and I think in a lot of ways prepared me for it, right? He said, Tracy, this is the exact same thing you do every single day. It's just in a different environment and it is about 20 times faster than it is where you work now, right? And I said, sign me up because I love that, right? And it was the opportunity to really take that skill set to the next level. And the interesting thing about working in a startup environment is that we are right now at this moment in time in Excel, I think really transitioning out of being a startup company into a growth company, right? We have Fortune 50 clients, four of them. And we're at the point where the pain points we feel and the change that's happening is really to bring process and precision to our business and that ability to say one by one, piece by piece, how do we chip away at the things that previously in a very pure startup environment worked, right? It's a figure it out, do what you can with the resources that you have and just be very nimble and then move into how do you build process and how do you help people along who have been there in the startup environment to understand why that process is so important. So I think that's a big part of my job. I serve in a chief of staff capacity as well, Christina, and that's been- Of course you do. (laughs) Just for fun. But I think that's been a really important part of the realization is that in that change management process, in order for it to be successful, you have to be able to bring people along with you. And there's so much empathy in that process and understanding, mapping against what we just experienced with COVID and events. That's a really hard thing to say, I'm going to cancel everything that you've put your heart and soul into, right? Or all of a sudden, this vision that you had for something has to change. And being able to empathize with people and say, I hear you and I get it, but here's where we're going. And bringing them along and building that shared vision, understanding where they're coming from can make a huge difference in how effective that change is and how quickly you can implement change. So I think that's really been the experience at Excel is helping to create process, build it out in a really effective and complementary way across the business that levels everything up and provides us an opportunity to scale and grow, but also brings the team along with us because we've got a lot of really smart, highly talented people in our company who have a voice and are very comfortable articulating what's important to them, which I think is really inspiring. Yeah. What I love that you're talking about too is leading and making sure to avoid empty empathy. Mm -hmm. Like you listed leading with empathy, but then also taking an action based on that. And I think a mistake that I see a lot of leaders making right now as they're navigating the change that just happened and is still happening is this empty empathy of saying, I totally understand. I completely get it. But then nothing happens and the feedback goes nowhere and thinking that it's okay to just say, no, I get it. I hear you. I understand. But I think people need their leaders to not have empty empathy and say, like, if I'm going to empathize with you, I'm going to do it in a way that gives you respect and say, here's the process that we are now going to build or here's what it looks like next or leading with honesty. Have you seen examples of people who think that empathy is it? Like, that's all you need to get through. It's just empathy. And then you're like, but there's more, right? Like we need more than that. That's so true. And I, you know, I think I love how you're describing empty empathy because there's a difference. And I think there's something really important in there that if you can empathize, right? The opportunity to be heard is what empathy is about. And hearing people is different than saying, I'm going to take every single person's individual feedback and implement it. Because in oftentimes, right, in a business setting, you can't do that. It will hold up your process. It will hold up your effectiveness if every single person's voice is 100% implemented into whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So I think it's this experience of saying, okay, I want to hear you out. I also want to share the vision for what we're trying to do. And let's think about how we take components of people's feedback. And then the ability to go back to them and say, I heard you and 
Here is what parts of that feedback we are going to be implementing. And I loved this idea. I think this is really smart. And these other things that were really important, I hear you, but right now, in order to move this forward, here's what we need to do. Do I have your support, right? Yes. And sometimes it's not just, do I have your support, but it's unfortunately we can't do that because it will impact this. And regardless of your feedback, we still have to move forward and I need your support. And I think those are very different conversations that eventually bring people along, right? Even if it might not feel great in the moment, but part of that leadership skill set is the ability to say, I know the difference between empty empathy, I heard you, and empathy yes. that says, I heard what you said, I'm taking parts of it, but then there are other parts that I can't take because it will impact what it is we're trying to achieve in a way that we can't afford to do right now, right? Yes, and this is what you're honing in on is not only change management, which is so necessary, but also just what it means to be a leader. Like people often say, as a leader, I just feel like I'm everyone's therapist. And it's like, now we're talking about the difference between an executive leader versus a therapist, where it's like, if you become their therapist and you say like, yeah, I'm kind of their therapist, it's like, you're not doing enough and you're not doing it right. You're not their therapist, you're a leader. So like, do more. <laughs> yes, and you're doing that person a disservice, I think, right? Yes. If you see yourself only as a therapist, that's a growth opportunity for that person, right? I heard your feedback and here's how we're moving forward. And their opportunity to say, I understand and I'm on board and then be a part of that process to see it succeed. They're learning that skill set along the way, right? They're understanding how to do that. And I think it's such a moment of growth for an organization where you can coalesce everybody's feedback into a single destination and go there and see it work. And yes. people get on board that way, right? And then the next time you have to do it, it gets easier. And the next time after that, it gets easier. So it, it can be very powerful if you are more than a therapist. <laughs> yes, yes. And building on this even more, we have spent the entire last year running away from something or leaning away from something and being very, very reactive. But anytime the body moves, anytime there's movement in life, if you are leaning away from something, you you are leaning into something else. And I think the thing that we all need to start talking about is less around how did you handle the last year and more around the fact that as things improve, change is coming again. It, like we are about to change again. And like in this time we can anticipate it, but it's like when things even moving back here, we'll pause. So anytime that you do any kind of change, like the last year we think about the fact that we have been running away from something. And anytime that you're running away from something or leaning away from something, you're also looking towards something. And COVID has been this engulfing thing where we have just constantly been reacting to that thing that is now starting to be behind us. And people need to stop talking about what did we do? How did we pivot? What was it like? And more so, there's another change coming. Like there's another change coming because the world returning to normalcy. First of all, we're all going to have a new normal. And we all just got adjusted to this. We're all like, I'm used to Zoom now. I'm used to working remotely. My company's making all these changes. I've got this like process down with my kids. But now it's about to change again. So we are all going back into a world where we all are going to have to change again. And so for you, if you were to want to advise people to say, look ahead to what the change looks like, where do people start to build a process forward looking, knowing that change is coming? Who does it? That's a really good question. I think for me, the mentality I always take in these moments, and I think it's hard to do that right now, right? Because we feel like we're getting to the other side of something. So there is an emotional component here that I think you have to kind of put in check and say, I may not actually want to do this because I just want to feel normal again, right? So hanging on to that. But for me, I say in these moments, slow down to speed up. And I think the slow down to speed up is that moment to pause and think about 
if we are really going to be effective, not knowing what the future holds, because it is very gray again, right? You have uncharted territory in terms of what the world will look like upon what we're calling quote unquote return. And the opportunity to slow down to speed up means that from an executive viewpoint, you have to decide who those early strategists are and find people in your organization who can think in a strategic fashion, right? Because it's not predictable. And then the ability to put people in that same room who can hang on to that strategy, who can be co-strategists, but also people who can implement that change when it needs to happen. You're building an ecosystem in which that strategic vision can continue to move forward with a lot of intention and creating intentional time to continue to slow down to speed up because the world will continue to change. It's not a point in time. It's not finite. And having a team of people who are very committed to that, that are both strategists, but also people who can implement and think through all of the change management, the stakeholder engagement, and even the ability to pivot your business, right? And be big picture thinkers. You have to have both of those groups of people in the same space from the beginning. And I think one of the things that happens often is you have executive leaders who may be big picture thinkers or strategists who strategize in a silo with each other or on their own. And they're thinking about that because that's their nature. And one of the things that people can do who are highly strategic to set themselves up for success is to put an operator in that room with them and talk out loud. And I think, you know, that's what we're doing at Excel is that opportunity. We're going to put everybody in that room together who have that hybrid of skill sets and we're going to talk out loud and postulate about what might happen. And it's been amazing to see the kinds of ideas that come up from both groups. And it's just holding that tension between the very different skill sets and knowing that they're tremendously complementary as you're looking ahead to the future. Let's go one level deeper there because that's really interesting and it's really tactical. So when you talked about the stakeholder engagement, like if you're listening to this and you're like, I am a leader, I'm an executive leader, I'm an individual contributor and I know that change is coming. You talked about this room of getting people in. Who, like tactically, who do you get in that room? Like virtual room, real room, who knows? (laughs) But like, who do you get in that space? Where do you start? So for me, right, and I'll use Excel as an example. So we're in a unique space because we work with call centers um, and contact centers. And their business, right, every contact center in the world has changed dramatically in the last 12 months. So to me, this team of people is a combination of those who understand perhaps where the industry is going, right, the market, and for that individual business, having a sense of your competitive set and what's happening in the marketplace, you have to bring that expertise into the space. So someone who has the product knowledge and the market intelligence to be able to say, I can see the large scope of the industry and our competitive skill set. And then the people, right, who can think big, but hang on to details at the same time. And those people look really different in different organizations. And knowing who those people are, who can have both of those skill sets come together, I think is really imperative. And then the operators, right? The ones who I on my team rely on these people every single day. They are the people who are fiercely taking notes, right? And they're saying, I'm going to schedule a whole series of other meetings that are going to be the follow-up to the follow-up, right? And I'm going to assign tasks in a project management system against strategy, which I think is something most people don't think about, right? And I spend a lot of time building this capacity on my team, the ability to assign task to strategy because that's how you move it forward. So I think there's this, again, it's about building the ecosystem of the right number of people has to be small to start with, who can combine the strategy, the intellect, the market intelligence, and then the operators underneath that in order to fiercely then say, okay, we have a path, even if we don't know what the end outcome is, and we're not gonna lose sight of this in our day-to-day business. 
Do you ever see companies making the mistake of involving either too many people or the wrong people too early on as they're building this and you like you throw your staff into analysis paralysis or you have too many people involved and it actually hinders the progress? Absolutely all the time. And I think it's something that most people have experienced in their professional careers, right? Either not being included when they felt like they should have been or there's too many voices and you can't get anything done. So I think, you know, the other thing is for businesses that are experiencing this kind of change right now, which is really all of us, that ability to define that group and then expand it strategically. So really thinking about who are your stakeholders and your ability to remain in that small group. But to, you know, I think about it like a chart, right? If your stakeholders run across the top and your core functional team that's building strategy runs across the bottom, you think about it being a peak, right? You go up to the stakeholders, back down to the core group, up to the stakeholders, back down to the core group back and forth, right? As yeah. you are effectively change managing and you could just go along a straight line on the bottom, but then you're going to miss all these people whose voices need to be included. So instead of saying everyone's included, yeah. you explain that process to your stakeholders. And sometimes your stakeholders are your entire company. Sometimes it's a board. Sometimes it's executive leaders who aren't included in that. And that ability to help people understand what your process will be, understand how their voices are included, but then really hang on to that core team who have the skill set to effectively make that change happen as quickly as possible while having the strategy embedded in it, I think is magic if you can figure that out in your organization. I mean, that's a nugget to take away. The idea that one, we know that change, any change is coming. And you take this initial core team made up of those people that you talked about and you say like, you are going to be with us from the beginning of the change all the way through the end. And you almost map that out and like, they're your constant. And then throughout you strategically plan for who you're going to involve and when and what you're going to say, but it's mapped out prior to that. So you're not doing this accidentally. You're not like crashing across a finish line. You're like, this is the comprehensive, change management process and plan and who we're going to involve and when. So many people don't do that. Right. Like, that right. is an incredible, like if you do nothing, if you listen to this whole thing and you're like, I don't, I didn't, I missed all of it. Like do that because the change is coming. The next three months, we are all going to pivot again and then potentially pivot again. And so to your point, like having it mapped out like that, where it's like, you know, all of the players and the stakeholders, you know how to have them hold on to the vision, you know, when the new vision is happening and it's mapped out for your company and deliberate. Like to me, that is executive empathy. That is just like, we know what's going on. We're going to involve you when you need to. And here's the plan to do it. And here's the follow through. It's like, bam, that's how you get it done. Absolutely. I love how you said that. That is executive empathy inherent. And I think the last piece of it is the willingness to say, this isn't working. Oh my God. (laughs) Right? In the middle of it. And at any given day, the person who is the person on your team who is designated to be, and you all should be, but the ability to say, this isn't working the way we thought it would. And now we need to change the plan that there always has to be that mindset. And there are triggers that help you see when it isn't working. But at the same time, you've got to hang on to that. Because I think for so many people who are achievers and high planners, right? And I'm one of them, you have to teach yourself to be okay saying it's not working and we need to change it and do it again. And you may do that over and over again in your change management process. And that's when you know you're doing it well, as long as it doesn't derail you, right? 
Well, and it sounds like you could probably and should set that expectation up front that it's like, this is the process. This isn't our offspring. If something is wrong and I either need to like identify it or you need to tell me, like, right. you're not calling my kids ugly. You're like, we are all open to the fact that like, we're not married to this. It is not our offspring. <laughs> like, if it has to change, I am either going to proactively identify it or I welcome you or anyone to say that's not working and I'm not going to take it personal because we're all on the same team and we're looking at it all together. Correct. <laughs> It's egos in check and comfort yes. with failure, right? The ability to be like, you know what? I really messed that up. I yeah. thought this step was going to work. It for sure didn't, right? And thanks for giving me the feedback about that. And the ability to hang on to that as a team, that small yeah. core team that's running along the bottom of the axis and be comfortable saying we messed it up and yes. that's okay, right? And announcing that from the beginning that it will not be perfect because it's unknown. And then you're again, flexing that skill set and building that muscle to when it happens again, you get better at it every single time. Yes. And I'm a big believer that being able to identify when you do something wrong prevents people from thinking that it's normal to trip when you walk, hmm. right? If you trip and then you're just like, no, 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 that was normal. People are like, I guess we should all trip because that is normal versus being like, no, that was a mistake. I slipped on some black ice. Don't do that. You know, it's like coming down to that where it's like making it okay to, not, to be wrong. Like it's cool to be wrong. Yes. And modeling yeah. how it feels to be wrong and admitting when something doesn't go the way you plan to and yes. turning it into the opportunity as a leader for me, right? I really mess that up. And here's what I think we've got to do differently, right? And here's what I learned from it. I'm not going to do it that way again. And modeling the ability to say it out loud. And I think so many times people are afraid to say, I didn't do it well. But yeah. for me, building the emotional security on a team to be able to say, I didn't do that well and I need help, right? Ugh. Or I'm approaching yes. failure. I can see it coming and proactively I can identify it and then hang on to the fact that I need to raise my hand and say, I'm waving the white flag. I need help. And rather than let it fail because I'm too proud to say it's going to, the ability to identify it and proactively ask for help and then talk about why it happened and make it better the next time. I think there's in change management in particular, but in highly matrixed, very gray activity Activity, like we're experiencing, right? And everybody is in COVID. You got to get good at that because nothing is known. Yes, nothing is known. And even I, speaking of things that are known, this has been a wonderful conversation and I am just dying to get down to our rapid reveal section <laughs> with you because I feel like there's so much under there that I just want to peel off. So let's do it. <laughs> so the rapid reveal section is where we have five questions. The idea is to answer them in 60 seconds or less. And we're going to get to know you a little bit better. So if you're up for it, let's dive in. Let's do it. All right. Number one, if you could choose any other job in the world, what would it be? Such a good question. I have a personal passion and perhaps a side hustle for group fitness. So I teach group fitness several times a week and really found this as an adult in my adult life. My passion for fitness and athletics has been a part of my life for my whole life, but finding a way to use it as an opportunity to inspire other people to be the best versions of themselves. I think fitness and health and well-being have such a big ripple effect into other parts of your life and you find those 
those when you are most challenged. And I think there's something really special about being in a room with other people and more so today than ever, doing something that is really challenging, both physically and mentally. And that mental toughness that you build in that environment and the ripple effects of good health and fitness on your body can just really transform your life. And so I also love being on stage. So you kind of can't argue with that. So it's been really fun. So I would pick that up and do it as a full career if I had to have any other job. Oh my gosh, I truly believe that the body can either be a home or a prison for the soul. And if it doesn't look the way that you want it to look or doesn't feel the way that you want it to feel, and that can be anything. And I believe that all of it is beautiful. But if it's not what's going to make you feel like I'm trapped in here in this sack of skin and bones, and it's my home and it's where I want to be. If you're not feeling that, Tracy's going to help you, you got to change about it. it. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tracy's going to get on stage and help you. Oh my God, I love it. Okay. What's an irrational fear of yours? I heard this question a couple weeks ago in your podcast and I loved it. It's the only one I ask everybody because I'm going to write a book one day. It's so good. My irrational fear is falling into cages at the zoo. (laughs) So in particular, the aquariums, right? You know, when you like stand above the aquarium at the zoo. And I'm sorry. Look, <laughs> I get, it's great. And I don't know why, right? But I look over that edge with all the sharks and the fish in there. And I just think to myself, what would happen if? And the same thing with the lions and the tigers. I mean, all of them. And I play the scenario out like all the way through. And I cannot, I just can't get close to the edge. I can get far enough to like look and enjoy the experience, but that's about it. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny, but I can't stop laughing. The guests can't see you. I can see you. And you yeah. are, you can't even right now. I don't know why. I, I, maybe it's the way you phrased it of falling in the cages at the zoo. It's just because people have done that and it doesn't they go have. well. It does not it go well. It doesn't There's go no well. no positive end. Correct. Right. Okay. Ooh, I need to get it together. Okay. Number three, what was your most recent mistake? I love this question. So there are lots of them. I make mistakes all the time, but one that I think really sticks out to me in terms of what I learned from the mistake that I made. It was a pretty significant moment, actually, I think for me career-wise. So a few weeks ago, I had this aha moment and realization that I should have made some different business assessments and talent assessments as it relates to our team that really needed to be made in terms of business process and business fundamentals that should have been implemented maybe a bit earlier than we chose to implement them. And it had a pretty significant ripple effect on our ability to be effective in a couple parts of our business. And I waited because I'm still pretty new in role. And that balance of deciding where you speak up and what you advocate for in a very fast moving environment is a tough one to navigate no matter where you are. But I think had I said something two weeks earlier and advocated for what I thought we needed to do, it would have changed what happened two weeks later. And that's how fast startups move, right? In a day, Mm -hmm. everything can change. And I think the realization for me was being kind of at a midpoint in my career that the on-ramp to your ability to assess talent and process when I've been doing it for a bit now, that on-ramp shortens with every career move. And Mm -hmm. the understanding that how long I may have needed to wait to assess in my previous job and the job before that and the job before that may have been longer. And as I grow, my assessment can be more rapid, right? And the change management skills that go along with that. So I think that realization that on-ramp shortens and the ability to then say, okay, Mm -hmm. I've got to stick with my intuition, right? Because I know this more and more as I grow and I can use that to benefit our business. Trust yourself. Yes. Yes. Yep. 
I mean, that almost leads into number four, which is what is one thing that you're learning how to do right now? You're always, seems like you're always open to learning and getting better, which is what makes you good at what you do. So what are you learning to do right now? Well, I try to put myself in ongoing uncomfortable situations. So personally, and I think this is personal and professional and those two things intertwine, I try to do something different and highly competitive every single year that relates to health and fitness. So this summer I'm gonna do a triathlon, which I've never done before. Yeah, and I started training for that last week. So I am learning how to swim for an hour, three times a week, which I will tell you, I grew up swimming and it is really hard. Mostly the boredom, right? So learning how to be by yourself in quiet, doing something repetitive for an hour is actually a fantastic, it's been really interesting growth for me, even in a week. My level of comfort with doing it, it's less so the athletic part of it, and that's really hard too. But just the headspace, right? Of just being by yourself for an hour in the world we live in today, it's been great. So certainly a competitive challenge that's taken me outside of my comfort zone. You are going to need to update me after this triathlon, merely because I'm going to live through you because I don't think I'm ever going to do that. I think you should. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my pre-COVID, I was like, I'm not a runner. I hate working out. And now I'm like a cycler and a runner and I do all that. But like I did a 5K on my treadmill. Hey, good for you. That counts. Counts. I'm a runner now. I'm an athlete now. You did. I'm, you did one third of a sprint triathlon. <laughs> Check it off. <laughs> so I'm basically an athlete, That's just it. like you now. Just like you. Just like you. Same thing. Number five. Do you have any reoccurring dreams? I do. Only one. And I know people have more than one. I've had this dream since I was as young as I can remember, about five. And it shows up around once a month. And I am carrying a pie in this dream. It is a pie that I'm delivering to my dad, who the pie is the difference between saving his life and him not living, right? Talk about I mean, an I get intense it. reoccurring dream. <laughs> Obviously, the pie would be the thing that would do that. And there's somebody chasing me to try to take the pie away from me. And the dream always ends, right? With And I'm running with the pie in my hands. The dream always ends with me turning around to look how close they are to me and something gets in my way and I hit that thing like I it's like an obstacle that I hit sometimes I stub my toe on a door sometimes I hit a wall and then I wake up (laughs) is the pie always the same flavor it is what kind of pie is it it is apple pie which is my dad's favorite yes okay well we could do an entire other episode unpacking this right because we need a dream analyst Right, right. You know, I feel like I just, I have so many questions, which is the point of this. The point of this is we are coming up on our time. And I imagine if anybody listening is like me, they want to hear more and get to know about you more personally, professionally, they probably want to hear about your company. So where can people go to connect with you and find you and learn more about you and learn more about Excel? Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and exceltechnologies.com. Perfect. Well, Tracy, this has been lovely. Thank you for making me cry to the point or laugh to the point of crying. (laughs) Thanks for making me cry, Tracy. That too. No Um, problem. (laughs) It has been wonderful. Thank you for being a guest on Taking the Lead. It has been a true pleasure and I hope to talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. I appreciate it. Of course. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.